You're listening to Learning Capacity with Colin Klupik. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast, improving student learning outcomes with neuroscience programs since 1999. To find out more about individualised language and reading programs for your child, visit learnfasthome.com.au. Mima Mason is the CogMed Manager for Pearson Australia and New Zealand and spends much of her time raising awareness of working memory and its relationship to learning. Most of us might easily relate to long-term memory, like what we did a while back, or short-term memory, what we did yesterday. But do we give enough time to thinking about working memory? That's what's going on when we get exposed to new things, and it's a critical part of the learning process. Poor working memory makes learning just that much harder. In this episode, Mima helps us understand it, and more importantly, how we can develop it. Mima, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Good to meet you, Colin. In your role as the uh, Cogman Manager for Pearson in Australia and New Zealand, I'm assuming that you had a, f- a fairly wide variety of tasks in raising awareness for brain-related things, if I can put it that way. Can you just walk us through that? Uh, absolutely. Um, my... My job is looking after Cogmed, but also a, a, a bunch of other programs and initiatives around building school awareness of social, emotional learning and cognition. Basically, all those things that um, relate to, to how we learn, what's important in learning, apart from the academic stuff, which Pearson already does very well. Um, um, rather than providing content, we're looking at what are the ways that we can improve learning outcomes? And that's by improving the way we attend, by improving behaviour, by looking at social skills and emotional skills and so on. So I, I do look after CogMed as part of that role and, and work with schools and with clinicians um, on a regular basis to uh, teach them about working memory firstly because, uh, you know, raising awareness of that is the first step and, and how that implicates uh, progress in learning. And and uh, and then you know supporting them through their implementation of, of uh, strategies to improve working memory. So uh, coming now to working memory specifically, because that's what I wanted to talk with you about in this conversation. Um, typically, I guess most people would think about memory in terms of long-term memory, like what I could remember from ages ago, or short-term memory, perhaps what I had for breakfast this morning. But working memory is a little bit more elusive, I think, in the in the common discussion amongst people. Can you walk us through exactly what working memory is? Sure. Look, and it's a, it's a great question. The, um, there are different types of memory, and we use both working memory and long-term memory uh, in, in learning. And it, uh, it actually points to one of the most important ideas that we have here, that um, you know, we, we can, humans have this ability to, to represent ideas in mind. And uh, the, uh, and, and once we can do that, we can actually uh, enable us to plan things and, and, uh, and, and deal with complexity and, and look ahead and evaluate things and, and, and to learn, of course. Hold, in that, you know, we, we rely on being able to hold things in mind and represent ideas. Now, the more we work with a particular idea and, and uh, in, in information, the, the more it is likely that to turn into something that is remembered and goes into long-term memory and that we can draw on. And we call that knowledge. That's building our knowledge base. So long-term, long-term memory is related to, to, uh, what we, to, to knowledge that we have learned. But working memory is, is uh, how we deal with everything that's new. It's that ability to hold information in mind and use it 
uh, in our thinking. And working memory is really short. It's, it's literally only, uh, you know, it's a very brief uh, period of time. And uh, it, it's that ability to not only store information, so it's, it's, that, that's what short-term memory is, but, but do something with it. You know, if you're going to complete a task that has multiple steps in it, it's about remembering where you're at in that task, what you've got to do next, what you've just done, and, and not lose sight of the, uh, of, of, of the task. So just holding all of that information in mind. Whenever something is new, we're relying on working memory to, to, uh, to do something with it. And, of course, the more we do with it, the more we can hold on to that, the more it becomes part of, uh, of our, our long-term memory. The more we can encode it to long-term memory, it becomes knowledge. So from a student's perspective, working memory is, is crucial because they're being exposed to new things all the time. Absolutely. And, in fact, the, the challenge for the for the uh, teacher as well in that environment or for, for the student is to is to get that balance right between the amount of new information and the amount of knowledge that you already have. Because these things are so closely intertwined, the more you know, the less you have to hold in memory. But the more that's new, the more that you're trying to learn, the bigger the impact that has on your, on your working memory load. So if a teacher can balance that right, have enough of the information that that supports, scaffolds, all the words that good teachers use, supports what the, the new information that's coming in, the less they have to hold in mind and you get that balance between the new information connecting to old information right. So I want to come to the mechanics of how that works a little bit later on, but the, one of the first things that springs to mind is if working memory is dealing with things that are new as they're coming into me, like let's say I'm a student and I'm being exposed to a new topic. Let's say the mm-hmm. new topic starts today, teacher starts talking about stuff, and I'm thinking, all right, I haven't heard this before, and my mind starts to churn away in working memory. Would it be safe to assume then that if my working memory is not that crash hot, that I'm immediately going to have an attention problem? Yeah, look, attention is the behavior that's the consequence of poor working memory, I suppose. It's that control of attention. The more you have to remember and the more complex it is, uh, the more that's new, uh, the greater the load. And if your working memory capacity is, you know, only two or three items, then it's very easy to get overwhelmed. It's very easy to be distracted. It's very easy to lose that. And and we call it catastrophic loss. You know, you you literally can't remember the first thing that was said. You know, it's completely gone because it's so overwhelming. Um, most of the time, if we can connect new information to old and there's enough of those those supports, then our working memory capacity isn't overloaded and, and we can manage that very well. And, and chunks of information, you know, three or four chunks of information is what most of us can hang on to uh, without being distracted. Um, that, that works well in, in, in that environment. But the more that it's new and the more that it doesn't relate to something that you already know, the more difficult it is, the bigger the load on your working memory capacity. So there's been some some research coming out recently to suggest that the variance of student progress in a class can be as much as three or four, even up to five years. I'm assuming then that those students would probably have different um, levels of ability with their working memory, which makes the teacher's job just that much harder. Absolutely. And, you know, in fact, um, it turns out that working memory tends to explain more of the variance in academic performance than even IQ does, because it's a practical measure. It's a practical measure of 
how much am I taking in? You can have fabulous material being presented in the classroom, and it's not a matter of their intellectual capability uh, to, to to deal with that. But it is a matter of how long, how much you can hold, how much of it you can hold on to and use. That's what working memory is about. And it's right; it can. You're right; it, it can vary quite substantially in the classroom. Now. If the only strategy we have to manage working memory in the classroom is the teacher's ability to manage those loads, then that job's pretty big because you could have uh, a, a very wide variety of, of kids in front of you that, uh, and work, a wide variety of working memory levels. And, and we also know that about 15% in any population, 15% of students are likely to have working memory capacity uh, that is that is poor and enough to interfere with progress in learning. That's three or four in every classroom, even without doing anything too strenuous. I'm assuming then as well that that three or four out of every classroom, let's say a class has 20 or 30 based on those numbers, I think it would be fairly safe to assume then that the, the effects of those three or four students that have working memory problems and then presumably attention problems, and then by extension also perhaps behavioural problems, I guess magnifies the problem. So my question to you then is, can you actually develop working memory capacity? You can, and there is strong evidence to support the fact that you can. You know, that there's for, for many, many years, uh, even the way that I was taught as a teacher, you know, many moons ago, um, my role was to help students to cope with poor working memory. You know, memory was thought of as a fixed uh, capacity that you couldn't change. And so my job was to try and manage those loans. And we know how hard that is to do. There are a lot of people out there that still believe that because this research into the plasticity of working memory is, is fairly new. It's fairly recent. It's really only in the last 20 years or so that, that uh, it has really gained some momentum. Um, the the uh, neuroscientists at the heart of uh, the development of, of CogMed working memory training were also the guys that um, established this plasticity. So you can train. It is something that, that isn't fixed. Uh, saying that, though, it isn't easy either. Um, it is resistant to, to, to change, but, but, but you can change it. And the, and the positive news is that you can change it with very focused, um, specific and repeated activity and, and, and one that's increasingly challenging to the child. If, if you follow those general, almost, I would say, biological rules of, of neuroplasticity, of those demands, uh, you can get change. And we've seen that in, uh, in, a, in a lot of the, the working memory training research. That brings me to the idea of content versus learning, because you've just mentioned there uh, repetition and intensity. I think it'd be fairly safe to say that previously or in, in decades gone by, people used to think about school as very content heavy, or at least we think about that now looking back. And now there seems to be a lot more conversation about learning. From what I'm, or what I'm get, taking from this conversation is that learning is m- very much about what's going on in the working memory space. Yep. So what was going on a couple of decades ago when we were just doing content, was that just drill and practice and then just filing things away in long-term memory? Look, they're both important. I, I am not going to take away the importance of actually getting through the curriculum. You know, teachers in this uh, country are paid to make sure that, uh, that, that, that maths and, and uh, letters and numbers work is, is, is done and completed and, and there are certain skills achieved there. Content is important. Content also 
scaffolds uh, what the new information that we learn, so we build on that. You need to attend to both. I mean, thank goodness we are finally emphasising learning skills in the classroom. Um, but it's not at the it's not one or the other. We need to do both. Uh, we need to build capacity to learn, especially now. You know, there's someone recently said to me, you know, if uh, if if a teacher's if what a teacher presents can be Googled, then they should be replaced by Google. <laughs> You know, it, it con content is important, but you can get it in other ways. Um, you, it, it's that it's that ability to it's that ability to learn. It's that ability to to think critically. It's that ability to uh, to be able to evaluate. And a lot of those critical thinking and creative thinking skills come down to a reliance on working memory. You need to be able to hold ideas in mind, process them, do something with them. Um, so, so a lot of what we're talking about in learning is absolutely limited by, by working memory. But working memory is also limited by how much you already know. Because the less you know, the, le the more you have to hold in working memory. So they scaffold each other. The, the more new information only gets in when you've, when, it's been, you know, when you've been able to hold on to it for long enough to do something with it. I think it's become quite trendy to talk a lot about thinking, uh, which I think is... Well, which I think is very important. <laughs> but um, uh, I did read a quote uh, which said, well, you can't really talk too much about thinking unless you have something to think about. And so if you haven't stored away a lot of, uh, I guess in inverted commas, content in your mind to think about, well, it's going to be very hard to think about something. That's right. And, and look, the, the, the Australian curriculum is actually really clear in this as well. It's, you know, you, you need to be able to not only get through the content, but develop those general capabilities. You need to be able to question the content, you know, use it in, in your thinking, be, 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 be critical of it, assess it, digest it in, in many different ways. Um, it, it's both of those skills that are important, you know, uh, putting it, things into long-term memory, but also being able to handle new information successfully so that you can hold on to it and, and use it in the future. It's it's not it's not trendy. I think it's it's the I think we are finally getting to really understand that, and it's that need to explicitly teach thinking skills, um, so that teachers are aware that they're doing that. Kids notice their thinking skills because if they notice their their um, their ability to remember, they notice their ability to to hold on to information. They notice what their limits are, then they're going to be more successful in uh, developing their own strategies around. Online and on your mobile, you're listening to Learning Capacity, brought to you by LearnFast. To subscribe to this free podcast, visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. Download the app, get the podcasts, stay up to date on the latest educational conversations. If you'd like to know more about the CogMed Working Memory Programs, visit learnfasthome.com.au. Neuroscience tells us that neural pathways can be developed or strengthened. Does this suggest, just to try and get some sort of a graphical feel about this, does this suggest that something is actually growing in the brain? I mean, you hear people talk colloquially about, oh, come on, mate, grow a brain, will you? Um, <laughs> but is that actually happening? It's more about strengthening the connections between things, that, you know, between 
you know, between new and old information. That's what learning is. It's a, at, at the biological level, at the neuronal level, it's, it's, it's new connections to new information connecting to old information. Um, so it's about st- strengthening those connections. When you do something repeatedly, when you practice something repeatedly, when you practice it with emotion, when you practice it with, uh, in the right conditions, those strength, those, uh, those connections become stronger. So instead of a, a, a dirt path that you get when you try something once, you, you're getting a, a super highway that uh, is very efficient and gets that information quickly and, and automatically. And that's what we're trying to do. When you follow any, a good training program, whether it's cognitive training or physiological training, you know, gym, going to the gym, it's the same principle. It's all about uh, lots of practice with increased challenge that strengthens those connections and makes them um, more uh, close, acts like a a habit so that it becomes more automatic. Okay, so from a connection perspective, I can can understand that because a human skull has a limited size. So I guess your brain can't grow beyond the dimensions of the skull. Whereas if I go to the gym and I work really hard and I eat lots of protein and and I put on a lot of muscle, I will physically get bigger. That's right. But in, the, but in the brain, it's all about strengthening connections between cells through that repetition. That's exactly right. And, and it's, it goes the other way as well. You know, uh, you, 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 you get better at what you practice. You get better at what you, what you do all the time. And, but there's also pruning away. Um, our brain is very efficient at making sure that the connections that aren't used very often uh, are not needed and therefore uh, you know are, are pruned away and may not be learned so so well now that's fascinating I might just jump in there and say so you're suggesting that things that we don't do that often or things that are not seen or perceived by the brain to be particularly important they just get cut off well it's it's harder to hang on to them and, and I and I think of the old content versus learning um, discussion that we've just had you know uh, if, if you're studying for an exam and you're literally studying the night before and you're remembering some nebulous facts, uh, just enough to get through the exam, then chances are a week down the track you won't even remember what those facts were because they're not important to you. They're, 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 it's not meaningful learning um, and you've, you haven't spent a lot of time on it so it hasn't been reinforced. Whereas things that are more relevant to our survival, things that are important to us, things that we are motivated, uh, that are driven by our own personal motivation, uh, they're the things that, we, that, we, that get practised um, and, and, and that are reinforced and, and, that, uh, and, and that we get stronger connections with. So let's come back to the school situation where we think about working memory and learning. This is kind of a weird question, but do you think we actually spend enough time thinking about what's actually going on in the brain. So as educators, are we actually spending enough time talking about strengthening neural pathways rather than just moving through a system? Is it worth talking more on that level? Oh, you bet. It's my personal passion, passion uh, Colin. <laughs> I, um, I'm the uh, host of a Pearson conference called the Mind Brain Education Conference, and that's exactly the aim. We want to make explicit to educators how we learn and use that information to guide, um, you know, better, better learning outcomes. You know, we, if, if, if you know, you, you've got to know a little bit more about the brain and a little bit about behaviour um, and, and understand that explicitly if we're going to try and change the way we think and behave. 
um, this, this is the this is the toolkit that teachers have. You know, how do we pay attention? How do we remember things? What helps us to um, to, to focus? What helps us to persist? You know, if, if we can tap into that and understand it, uh, that just makes uh, what happens in the classroom so much more effective. I guess coming back to the issue of attention, which you just mentioned, if if I observe a student during a new task and I can see that they're having trouble focusing on it, their attention levels are low, if I have a greater awareness of working memory, presumably I as a teacher could then start to diagnose a situation. So taking a slightly more uh, scientific or clinical view of education in this case, I can look at the student and go, I can detect that something's not quite working here. I need to change tack. Yep. And look, and, and I think that you can do that, and we, I've seen this in action. We, we do a lot of working memory workshops and raise teachers' awareness of these issues. And one of the first things that you do is actually, even when you're planning a lesson, is to think about where, what, what previous information can I build on so that I can minimise that, uh, that, that working memory load. So you'd be, you'd be planning that and strategising around that in the first place. Uh, so, that, so that you're avoiding too much of a, a big jump. And then when you're in that situation, kids are, you know, the way that you would, you would notice is probably that kids aren't following the, the instructions or that they're turning to their friends and asking, what, what do I do next? Or they're, um, or they're just fidgeting and, and, and looking out the window. And if you see that happening repeatedly, then that certainly does give you some clues. Um, it, and it's not to be mixed... This is a, a common a common uh, issue is that it's it's often mixed up with kids who aren't trying hard enough. You know, kids ah. with poor working memory often get accused of you weren't listening or you're not trying hard enough. And 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 whenever I speak, I, I try and make that distinction. Um, working memory and attention are effortful. You know, that focused attention actually requires some effort on your behalf and. Um, there are some kids who will make that effort and some that won't, and some that can't. So I think you, you, you need to, to, to understand where this child's at. I, 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 like, I always advise teachers to look for those kids who are trying hard but still not making progress because that tells me that there's probably something wrong with their, with, with their working memory capacity, not with their motivation. Let's think now about the people who are listening to this particular discussion and thinking, okay, I've got all that. Surely there's got to be something out there or they're, they're probably waiting for the punchline. So here's what you need to fix your working memory. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the inevitable thing, isn't it? We talk about this problem. There's been a lot of research into it. Surely, surely there's got to be something that, you know, can, can I take a pill? Can I do a, a, a computer program? What products are available to help with working memory? All right, look... The, the, the research tells us that there are three things you can do to manage working memory. One is to change the environment, and that's up to the teacher to, to minimise the loads. Two is to teach strategies. And the psychologists have been doing this, teachers have been doing this forever. We instinctively do it for ourselves. Take a picture of what, what's on the board rather than trying to remember it. Uh, you know, write things down rather than trying to hold things in our heads. Put things up in, on the wall have information in the world rather than in our heads so that's that's one and two and they rely on strategies their strategies for coping but the third thing that the research says we can do is to train working memory and, and cogmed working memory training uh, which is a product that i look after at pearson 
has actually been developed to try and do that. And, and it came out of the research on the plasticity of working memory. It's a very hopeful, uh, revolutionary idea 20 years ago, you know, that you can, that you can change working memory, that it's, that it's not fixed. And small changes make a big difference. But it's not easy to do. So you, it, it's a particular way that you have to do this training. And COGMIT is as much about doing lots and lots of working memory exercises, getting lots and lots of practice, doing it specifically uh, around working memory. Um, so you, you train what you want to get better at and build those connections and make that a, a new habits. But it's got, and it's got to be challenging. And most of the time, you know, the effort that's required to meet that criteria usually means that people don't succeed. So there's lots of um, cognitive training programs out on the market that are either too general or not specific enough to work in memory or, or train as you like. They're not structured enough to make sure that you get enough of the dose that you need to to get change. And that's what's good about Cognit. It's both having access to the right exercises and the structure and support of the training that makes sure that you actually get through enough of the training to see change. Um, and, and, and that's been figured out by, again, by, by good research. You know, how much do you have to train to get good at working memory, to improve your working memory capacity? Uh, and, and it turns out you've got to work fairly intensively. And for most kids, it's about six, seven weeks of training, maybe 25 minutes, uh, four times a week. Um, it, it's that sort of level of repetition and challenge um, and, 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 and immersiveness that, that is required to get change. You don't get that from other just uh, brain training programs. So that's what, that's what we're good at, and that's the sort of thing that you want to be looking for if you want to do working memory training. I'm glad you mentioned some of the numbers there because I, I'm assuming many people will be listening and thinking, well, how long do I have to do the training for? So you've just mentioned six or seven weeks, around about four times, uh, six or seven weeks for, and four times a week, about 25 minutes a day. Is that when you start to see change or is that when you notice that there's been enough change? I mean, and I know there will be some variance there because every person's different, but six or seven weeks, is, is that a time when I can then just stop and say, I'm, I'm done? It's a really good question. You know, again, there's that idea of, you know, you only, it's, it's use it or lose it. You're only as good as what you train. Um, but, but you have to remember what we're training here. It's, it's, not a, it's not an esoteric task like a, you know, a, a specific strategy in a shoot-em-up game that you're only going to use once and isn't meaningful to the rest of your life. We use working memory all the time. Those strategies are important to us. And there's something that's learnt in that, um, in that intensity of training that seems to, uh, you, you, you're able to hang on to it. And, and, uh, and because we're using our working memory all the time, every time we process new information, we rely on our working memory, we're practicing those skills all the time. So even though the cognitive training ends after six or seven weeks, the, the, the practice in using those strategies doesn't. And, and having a coach, which is, is also a, a very important and unique um, part of the cognitive program, having someone to talk to you and help you to notice your thinking and explicitly point out what strategies you're using and, and help you to, to be rewarded for using those strategies, you're more likely to do that again. You're more likely to transfer those skills and strategies to everyday tasks. So it's a very important part of that, uh, of that training is to, 
notice what you're doing. You know, repetition isn't enough. You've actually got to be actively thinking about it and doing something with that information. So the first two things that you were talking about, strategies, they're the sort of things that you just live with day to day. But doing something like Cognit or an active uh, approach to working memory training, is it's coming in before the problem. It's, a, it's an intervention. Yes. Uh, look, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. One of the, one of the first things that, that I noticed when, when uh, young students are going through Cognit is that they realise, firstly, that, that attention is effortful. There's a lot of people out there who, who don't, don't realise that. They, they will look at the, what's written on the blackboard, but they don't realise that they actually have to apply some energy to this, some effort to writing it down or doing something with it, thinking about it. We, you and I possibly take that inner voice in our heads for granted where we repeat something so that it stays fresh and active. For a lot of kids with poor working memory, they don't have that inner voice. They're not speaking to themselves. So one of the first quite magic things that happens, I think, with cognitive training is that, that kids suddenly realise that, hey, if I concentrate in this way, if I apply this sort of energy and this, this sort of uh, rule of thumb in my head, I can actually get through this, I can remember. And that is, that's quite wonderful to, to see. And then beyond that, there's a bit of automaticity that happens. Often, even while Cognit is still in progress, we're seeing um, kids saying, reporting back to us, hey, this is becoming more automatic. When I think about it too much, I actually get it wrong. But when I trust my brain, I'm starting to get it right. So there's something that's already starting to happen there, the, the ways of looking, the, the, the effort that's required starts to become a habit. That's beautiful uh-huh. language, isn't it? Trusting mm. your brain. Yeah, it, it's lovely that it comes from them too. You know, um, I had a, a lovely picture of a young a young gentleman drew a picture for us um, as a baseline. We, we asked him about his goals for the training, and he 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 um, he drew a picture of his brain at the beginning of the training, and he had tilted on the side all this information falling out of his head and falling onto the ground. That's how he described it. It felt like for him. He just tried but this information would fall out of his head and, and at the end of it he said you know it stays in and I can use it it was as simple as that that's how he sort of represented it he had he had ways of keeping that information in at the, at the end of the training uh, and, and look that's just the beginning you know having good working memory doesn't necessarily make you an instant scholar either You've still got to do that sounds work. You've still got to do that numbers work if you want to get good at, at, at some, you know, if you, if you want to improvements in literacy and numeracy. It's about that combination. Working memory is that primer, if you like. And once you understand these and, and this becomes a habitual behaviour, once you, once you can hang on to just that little bit more information, then you can use that and take advantage of what else is happening in that classroom. I've got this great image in my mind now of a brain that was tilted on its side and it's just has righted itself and things aren't falling out anymore. That's a great story. Yeah, and it, 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 I hear it often. It's not, it's not a one-off. It's, um, it matches the, the language in psychology that psychologists use about, um, about, about loss of information being catastrophic. We've all had that feeling, and this affects all of us, by the way. We all have working memory limits. If you've, if you've pulled over and tried to get driving directions, you'll, you, we all know what that feels like when it's too much information. And the, as soon as you set off to, to follow the first step, you've completely forgotten that information's fallen out of your head and it's, it's catastrophic loss. And that's exactly what this little boy was describing. 
Well, thank goodness that most of us drive around with our heads at the right angle. <laughs> Mima, that's a, it's a great story. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. You've been listening to Learning Capacity, brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about LearnFast and the CogMed programs, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And if you'd like to comment on this podcast, you can send us an email to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.